0: The Middle Ages were a time ruled by men, but what about the women who stood beside the kings and knights of the lands? There are plenty of strong-willed female figures who didn't let the patriarchal society they lived in stop them from influencing the political and social landscape around them. One such figure was Eleanor of Aquitaine, who was married to not one, but two kings in her lifetime, as well as being the duchess of one of the largest provinces in medieval France. She embodied what a powerful and influential figure in history should be—bold, ambitious, and intelligent. But she is not without her share of controversy as well, at one point plotting against her royal husband. Eleanor's influence defined her as a role model for upper-class women, so let's polish off her story and find out why she is a true gem of history.
1: Your shirt? Are we recording? Yeah, your you? shirt just makes me want to just devour a bag of salt and vinegar chips. Do you know that. I right? was wondering you,
0: where you were going with that. De- you were devouring. <laughs> I was, yeah, I was like, how does that relate to lighthouses? At all? <laughs> just, no, I understand. I said, I said
1: devour. Pause. <laughs> like, we could make this podcast very weird. <laughs> <laughs>
0: for For those at home, I'm wearing a shirt that has a bunch of different lighthouses on it, so that that's why I haven't said that
1: that is such like a beautiful it really is a nice shirt. I'm sure it's, it's great fabric it as is. well, but it's just like such a it's just so perfectly you it's I a think. very
0: it's a very niche market shirt <laughs> it's a very niche market yeah. <laughs> But Evan, how are you? It's 2023. It's welcome 2020. to the Gems of History podcast in a new year, everybody. In a
1: whole new year. I'm wow. Jacob Shop, and that's Evan Roosh, of course. Howdy. How's it going? Pretty good. Pretty good. Year two. Yeah. Three. How long have we been? Year two. Two. No. Calendar year, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> full calendar year. Right. But yeah, it's good to get recording again. We had a little break, and thank you guys for letting us do that. Yeah, um, we had a good holidays,
0: but busy. So.
1: Very busy, very busy, of course, with Christmas activities. I still have a Christmas that, as of this recording, would have just finished up, so got one more to do, Uh, and then, of course, New Year's Eve, where I realized uh, that your boy needs to maybe not devour bags of chips at a time, because I was wearing a suit. Uh, My girlfriend and I and a few friends went to a pretty nice place. It was a Casino Royale theme, whatever, and in the bathroom. Like I mentioned, I was wearing a suit. Just got done using the restroom, and on my way out, I hear a pop. Oh, and my zipper broke. (laughs) Oh, no. So, your boy's got a fat ass. (laughs) Are you sure it's not just the squats you were doing? I know it wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. But uh, I was just about to say, like,
0: man, that suit looked really good on you. You did compliment. You're like, wow, you (laughs) were silent.
1: But I was able to fix it in time before the big ball drop. That's the, good. The New Year's Eve ball. Nothing on me. I was going to say, <laughs> otherwise we might have had issues. But other than that, great start to twenty twenty
0: 23. <laughs> that, that is good. Uh, that is that is funny. See, I didn't have any wardrobe malfunctions, but I did spill drinks and
1: yeah, just overall got way too drunk. So. We were both we were both kind of sloppy white, like white yeah, girls. <laughs> yeah. Well,
0: I... Posted on my Instagram and said, like, here's to another year in the at life of an average Midwestern white boy. Yep. <laughs> That's pretty much the summary
1: of what that is. So. Yep, yep. Feel that. Feel but
0: that. Hope you all had a good New Year celebration if you did anything fun. But uh, welcome to 2023. It's off to uh, an interesting start already in the world of sports, especially. But uh, we won't get into all that because I'm sure everyone's already heard mostly about what's going on in that. So today, we're going to start the year off with something a little different. We're going to do a month that we are going to dedicate to some powerful female figures from history. So as, we, as you heard in the intro read today, we are going to focus on a woman known as Eleanor of Aquitaine. Yes, shout out the ladies. Yeah. So hopefully we'll have some uh, female guests on for this month, get a couple of our friends in here and talk with us. But yeah, today it's just us. And I don't know who better than two Midwestern white guys to talk about women from history right
1: we got that (laughs) (laughs) we will yeah like you mentioned we will have um some women that i believe have either been on the podcast or whatever we will have some women's opinions we'll have some female representation in this month of female representation yes yes
0: but today, we're going to focus on Eleanor of Aquitaine. She is honestly a super cool figure. I, I didn't really know anything about her, but then once I started researching her, the people around her are actually like pretty famous, and it's like, how did I not know that she was associated
1: with all of this? Right. She and her family are probably one of the most famous like, families yeah, of all the like British monarchy, English I, monarchy,
0: I would assume that most people have heard the name Plantagenet, and that's like that's her family, right? Which is huge in the scheme of England. But we get like some other famous figures that take part in the Crusades, and so yeah, a lot happens around her during Spurred her life.
1: Spurred some local
0: legends such as Robin Hood. Yeah, I would. I mean. That's where some of you might have heard her name, honestly, because in Disney's Robin Hood, she's the uh, very critical mother of Prince John, and she's a character you don't really even see in the animated one. But there was a Disney movie called The Story of Robin Hood and His Merry Men, which was live action, came out in 1952. She was also in that. So she's important enough to be in multiple Disney movies. I mean, she's got to be a kind of a big deal.
1: Who is a bigger deal? Jack Sparrow, who has four Disney movies, or... (laughs) (laughs) Also not a real person. (laughs) Also not a real person. But he lives in our
0: hearts Mm -hmm. and our minds. So, should we get into it? Let's dive on in. All right. So, as I mentioned, she was in a couple Disney movies, but all good stories have to start somewhere, and Eleanor's began around the year of 1122. The exact date of her birth isn't really known. And that kind of shows how important record keeping was for the upper class, even upper class women in this time period. What just wasn't really looked upon as something that needed to take the time to do.
1: Yeah, the times, or the nature of the times, I guess I should say, definitely are represented in that. Where, oh, yeah. keep in mind, uh, at this point in history, especially in. Uh, England at the time, you know, women of nobility were typically used as ways to strengthen relationships with power, more powerful families or to get more land, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera.
0: Yeah, they're kind of peacekeeping negotiation tokens for a lot of time. <laughs> yes. But nonetheless, Eleanor was born to William X, who was the Duke of Aquitaine, and his wife Aenor of Châtellerault which I had to look how how to pronounce and actually put a pronunciation guide in my notes to get make sure I got that right.
1: Good for you. I would have just rolled with how it looks.
0: <laughs> got it right. Uh, I also should mention that I got most of my information for this. Uh, there is a website called Long Reads, and there is a write-up by a woman named Ann Terrio who did a really good job on her story. And then worldhistory.org and Extra Credit on YouTube has a good four-part little series on her so that's where I got most of my information from. If you wanted to go do some research on your own, uh, at her birth, Eleanor was originally named Eleanor, and that translates literally to "the other Anor, So she was named after her mother, and the anglicized version of her birth name translates to Eleanor, and that's where we get Eleanor from for. Her name, basically. Not
1: very creative people, were they? No, no, not really. we got to <laughs> I mean, think of a good name for, uh, how about the other one? I mean, we're also in the time period where
0: everyone just names their son after themselves so they can be king. So <laughs> that is true. It's not that different. But it wasn't really uncommon for the mothers to do the same thing in highborn families naming their daughters after themselves, especially since Anor's family line had quite a string of interesting names. Because, for example, Aenor's mother, and thus Eleanor's grandmother, was called Dangerous as a reference to her w- entrancing ways with men. And oh. it was a nickname that stuck so hard that historians aren't actually sure what her given birth name was.
1: Really? The we- nickname stuck that that well? Yep. So Dangerous it is.
0: Aenor... Uh, Eleanor's mother was actually adopted by William the Ninth after he abducted Dangerous, and then Eleanor was given to William's son, also named William. So this meant that Eleanor's parents were actually step-siblings. Oh. So now is the appropriate time for any step-bro jokes.
1: Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I mean, they were a Thousand years before their time, I guess. And they were really on top of the, the current trends in
0: certain filmmaking industries. They they definitely were. <laughs> but moving on with Eleanor, she was born into a family that was already set up quite well. Her father, as I mentioned, was the Duke of Aquitaine, and that was the richest and largest duchy in the area that was known as France at the time. It's not the France we know today,
1: but sure, her family owned the biggest and richest section of it sounds like an area where they don't really speak French, but they have killer baguettes. Oh, I'm sure they had
0: bomb food. Yeah. William the IX was a famous warrior, but he was also a skilled literary poet, which his son inherited in the form of a passion for literature. And as such, William X saw to it that Eleanor and her younger sister Petronilla were well educated. And since Aquitaine was a center for high fashion and culture as well, it was a perfect place to raise a proper young lady. So at a young age, Eleanor was already fluent in Latin and skilled at sports such as hunting and hawking. And during the same time, her mother would have been teaching her
1: household skills such as spinning and weaving. Are you telling me that there's a sport called hawking that I assume involves like the bird? I didn't look into what it is, but yeah, I'm but assuming yeah. <laughs> that's what it is, So is. Let's go with, just for imagination, it's training a bird to land on your arm. I mean, that's awesome. Or maybe hawking a loogie. There's no in between. I don't really know
0: like, what you're tr- doing with the hawk that makes it a sport, but I don't, it sounds yeah, cool. It sounds cool. <laughs> In the year 1130, William's only son died, and this left Eleanor, the oldest of his children, as the next in line to inherit his position. So her education shifted from her household duties to teaching her how to wield the power of a duchess when the time should come that she has to take over. And according to reports, she was no stranger to the courts in Aquitaine. Uh, she was said to dazzle the Aquitanian courts with her wit, and it did hurt that she was also, from all sources, apparently super hot. So, <laughs> I mean, at this point, she's like 12. But, oh. I mean, later in life, even, it says, like, she was a very beautiful woman. So,
1: she was a good-looking girl. Well, there you go. And I guess just to clarify, like when we say the courts of Aquitaine, that's where like all the political decisions are made, if I remember correctly. Yep, exactly. Um, so it's very important to, in this time of her life, the only being 12, to be surrounded by that. Because I don't want to directly compare this to like, oh, well, for example, Game of Thrones, but for example, Game of Thrones. <laughs> like how the court system works and how you have to have great appearances when you're in court. You have to be... You had to follow all these different protocols and dialogues. We even see with the royal family today. So it is very important that she's doing this at a very young age.
0: Yeah, and I mean, she's getting exposure to how the legal system's going to work, what a fair and just uh, presider over that mm-hmm. justice system is supposed to look like. So yeah, she's getting a lot of useful information firsthand at a young age. And then in 1137, when Elizabeth was around 14 or 15, her father, William X, died of dysentery while on a pilgrimage to Oregon yeah <laughs> there's a lot of <laughs> dysentery deaths in this story which is very interesting
1: is dysentery like it's had a run for a good thousand ah, years it had a run yeah yeah <laughs> I, I, yeah, yeah, yep. <laughs> yeah new year same me <laughs> but before
0: William the 10th died he knew that he had to leave Eleanor in good hands because in this time period it was not unheard of to kidnap a noble woman to gain their land, and in Eleanor's case, inheriting the largest and richest land in France would have made her a prime target for said kidnapping. The, the, the 1100s, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's a wild time. You could literally just take a person and be like, I, you own my land now because I can't do anything about it. Right. <laughs> you literally can just kidnap your way to the top. So how common this practice actually was is up for debate, but... I mean, the fact that it's mentioned so many times in different sources, it probably did happen. I don't know if it happened all the time, but, you know, it's got to be something that she had to worry about. But nevertheless, William left Eleanor in the care of King Louis VI of France, who was also known as Louis the Fat. Oh. Until she found a suitable husband. <laughs> History did him dirty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the whole line of Louis' success, like the successors after him, none of them are like real stunners <laughs> oh they're they're pretty boring group of people if i'm being honest but <laughs> we'll find that out as we go so within hours of finding out about william's death louis VI said hey eleanor i know who you can marry my son and this was perfect for louis because it gave him a new claim to aquitaine however there was stipulations because it wouldn't come under the complete control of the kingdom of france until Eleanor and Louis the Seventh had a son who would become the King of France, so until then Eleanor would remain in charge of Aquitaine and own all the holdings there. Oh,
1: okay. Let's it's good see. to have a little little stipulations in every security contract.
0: blanket. Which yes. This is kind of interesting because it's giving complete power and control to her, right. even though she's getting handed off in marriage to like a king.
1: Right, and again, it's the 1100s, and this woman is owning a huge piece of land. A huge, rich piece of rich land. Rich <laughs> piece of land, yeah.
0: Within a couple months of her father's passing, Eleanor was officially married to Louis VII, and Louis the Fat was also pooping himself to death at the time, and only a week after the wedding, he was also dead. So this was great, because now Louis VII and Eleanor weren't just the Duke and Duchess of
1: Aquitaine, but King and Queen of France. Not a bad come-up. Granted, it had to come in some shitty ways, but not a bad come-up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you just have to have two
0: father figures, one that you just met, die, and then you could take over France.
1: It's that easy. At what point do we switch the drinking water for the royal family? <laughs> you just, I guess, never got the memo. <laughs> when do we fire the chef? <laughs> well, you'd think that this was a
0: great step, but it was not so great because Louis VII was never supposed to be the king of France. His older brother, Philip, was originally designated to rule for a while, but in 1131, Philip died. So, Evan, would you like to take a wild guess at how his brother Philip died?
1: Guessing the old dysentery. No. It does have to
0: do with shit, though.
1: Oh, no. So if
0: if you didn't guess that Philip's horse tripped over a pig that had been hiding in a pile of shit and ran out in front of him as he passed, you were
1: wrong. That, that's, I mean, that's when we bring out trivia. That's when we bring trivia <laughs> Honestly, back. I read that like three times. I was like,
0: history is fun. <laughs> history is hilarious. So this untimely and unorthodox death left Louis to try and speed run an entire life's worth of apprenticeship under the king in a mere six years. And granted, six years is a relatively long time to have to prepare compared to most people. But Louis was not set up well enough for this career path change. Up until this point, Louis VII had been living a sheltered life in monasteries and hadn't traveled a whole lot, because as the younger son, he was set up to be part of the clergy rather than be part of the royal court.
1: Yeah, quite a drastic change. You're talking about just living in a monastery just doing the monasterial duties like brew beer and or garden or just learn about the word of God, to now you have to rule an entire nation.
0: Yeah. You think about it in this terms of like you were setting yourself up to serve the Pope and now you are in charge of like a kingdom and pretty much equal to the Pope. So that's a big change in power structure that you have to try and manage very quickly.
1: Yeah, I don't know if six years is enough time.
0: Yeah, but either way, it meant that Louis was very tied to the church still, and he was more ready to become part of the clergy than become a king. And it shows in his nickname, which was Louis the Pious. Hey. And this is a big hint at how his lifestyle is going to be with his new, beautiful, outgoing wife, Eleanor. And she was seemingly much more prepared to rule the kingdom than Louis was, but alas, Louis was the king, and she had to respect his
1: wishes. Yeah, he probably doesn't have great social skills. And so now being coupled with a wife who is very familiar with the courts, and just, again, super hot by all historical records, and also probably one of the smartest people in the courts as oh, well,
0: yeah. And like might she, not be the best marriage. She had already been kind of running a whole duchy Her entire by state. herself. Yeah. So, I mean, she's pretty set up to rule. And the marriage at first seemed to be one of love, but Louis was, by all accounts, definitely more excited about the wedding than Eleanor was. Oh, yeah. He went from a life of celibacy to now, like, I don't know. Here's this hot chick. Yeah. <laughs> Go get married and make babies. Yeah. Seeing as how he was handed this intelligent, independent, and attractive young bride, and she was told to marry a white inexperienced heir to a kingdom you can understand why she wasn't as keen on the marriage. And in addition, Paris was much less of a cultural hub than Aquitaine was, so Eleanor wasn't impressed by the courts, and she was more used to a flashy and flamboyant style of living.
1: Right, Paris at this time was not the Paris that we know today. No, and
0: it wouldn't be for a while. A long time. <laughs> this apparent lack of interest showed itself in the fact that it took eight, count them, eight, years before the couple had their first child
1: that is oh sorry no go ahead i was gonna say that's you may be thinking like eight years That's not that bad maybe they just wanted to be in love for a little bit not at this time like they're a huge part of being in this role was to have babies and create heirs
0: yeah and in a time period where you didn't know how long you had to live yeah waiting that long is like you it could just Never happened, you could just die before it. So,
1: a pig can run out in the street yeah, at any out, point. Of a, out of a pile of shit and just yeah. run in
0: front of your horse. That is gross. Between Louis' tie to the church and Eleanor's boredom with Louis, it took him a while, but eventually Eleanor gave birth to their first girl, Marie.
1: And you want to know how they celebrated that birth, Evan? I'm guessing that they didn't talk to each other for a long time. No, they went on a crusade. That is, in, in, I'm just picturing like the line, like, we just had a child, now let's go fight in the Middle East. <laughs> we gotta go do some fighting. Fighting By around By going the world. on a crusade, that is insane.
0: I mean, this wasn't a direct result of them having a kid, this wasn't yeah. the reason they did it, but it was just funny timing that she had the kid, and like, less than a year later, they're like, let's go on a crusade. I gotta get out of here. So, after having gotten into a spiff with the Duke of Champagne and the Pope, Louis had gone to war with the Duke of Champagne. And in the process of this war, Louis accidentally, quote unquote, accidentally burnt down a church in the city of Vitry that was sheltering 1,200 innocent people. That's a huge church.
1: Very hard to burn down. Accidentally. Ah, <laughs> uh, how did my torch get in like this fire?
0: So the papal relationship with Louis and Eleanor was eventually smoothed over and the Pope called for a second crusade after the crusader city of Edessa fell, and Louis figured that this would be a good way to absolve himself of the sins he committed in his war with the Duke of Champagne. So he's basically looking at this as like a get out of jail free card for himself.
1: So what a lot of noble like nobility and knights and royalty did back in the day. Maybe that's how we should
0: do the draft, it's just like hey, you, gotta, you can do anything you want after you do this. After you do this, yeah. But then you have to do this again in like 10 years to, do, to get the free card again, so. <laughs> Eleanor made it clear to Louis that she would be coming along with him, seemingly for no other reason than to go on an adventure. So she took up the Hobbit approach and was like, I'm going on an adventure.
1: Except it's just sand.
0: Yeah, and a lot of walking
1: and a lot of walking (laughs)
0: immediately the crusade was a mess louis couldn't agree on a good route to take he was not getting along with the byzantine king that he met along the way he wouldn't go near his wife because he insisted on acting like a pilgrim on his way to the holy city and eleanor brought a shit ton of luggage treating this more like a vacation rather
1: than a war (laughs) that is very funny it is that one is very funny And also, it's like a classic road trip, just like in modern times. You get lost. You can't find your way. You piss off a local somewhere. You piss off the local. Yeah, there's too much crap to take in the car. That's literally every single road trip. Oh, yeah.
0: However, the same historians that criticize Eleanor for bringing too much luggage also point out that she was a more able leader than Louis, and the troops respected her more. There you go. So... As this is a fact, Eleanor's contingent led the pack and crossed a mountain ahead of Louis's group, which subsequently got attacked by Turkish archers and was basically massacred, with Louis escaping only because he was dressed as a
1: cleric and hid in a tree. Oh, wow. Did he get lucky? But that also makes me think, is that an inside job? Why were they so far ahead of the group?
0: No, because she just didn't listen and was like you guys can go like... Well, first of all, it was said that Louis' contingent had like all of her luggage too. Oh, sure. So so it spread his line super thin. Right. And then she just uh, passed over a mountain before she was really good to do it. Right. (laughs) And just left him behind. Later, skater. I mean, she was probably pissed that he was just ignoring her and just like having nothing to do with her the whole time. She's like, all right, fine. I'll go do my own thing.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: But this was only the beginning of the souring of their relationship as a couple. Once they arrived in Antioch, the two met up with Eleanor's uncle Raymond, who was described by William of Tyre as, quote, the handsomest of the princes of the earth, end quote. Not a bad title. Good for him. I would
1: take that. I would take that.
0: I think if I had that title in my Instagram bio
1: like by someone else, I'd I'd probably be okay with it. We might have to stop... uh (laughs) Wearing pants that don't fit and wearing lighthouse shirts, but maybe we'll get there. (laughs) Get to the
0: handsomest podcaster on all of the earth. (laughs) Immediately, Eleanor acted as though she was the important party in Antioch and made Louis look like more her servant than her husband, the king. Oh. Her and her uncle began to converse in their native dialect to catch up with one another, and he was genuinely nice to her. And this reminder of her home courts of Aquitaine led to her spending a lot of time with her uncle and not with Louis, who couldn't even participate in the conversation because he didn't understand their dialect.
1: That is a tough one. It is. Everyone's been there.
0: (laughs) But it's like getting mad at her for getting to see her uncle who she never
1: sees. Right. And
0: also getting a reminder of like, this is what fun life is like. Yeah. (laughs) Instead of getting married to this boring nobody- well, not a nobody, but yeah. like basically a, but to describe an empty shell of a man. Yeah, white bread. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Eleanor also sided with her uncle over Louis when Raymond suggested that his caravan abandon their plans to reach Jerusalem and instead help the handsome prince and his forces fight to conquer Aleppo. So she's not only ta- talking to him more, but she's also siding with him on... Giant political decisions for
1: the Crusade. Right. Where to take the army? That is very common in the Crusades, too. Like I believe Raymond, if I'm not mistaken. Like he was part of like one of the first crusades. Yeah. And he took this city. And then he's like, nah, I'm good. I'm not going anywhere, Father. And started his own kingdom there. So the Crusades were I mean, they of course were portrayed as these holy wars, but they were really just land grabs in the Middle oh, East. Oh yeah. So like what Britain would do for everything (laughs) a lot more going forward yeah
0: them in spain kind of got the idea started at the crusades and they were like we could do this everywhere we can do wait a new land yes you don't say (laughs) so at this point louis basically gave up on the crusade mostly because his target city of edessa had already been razed to the ground and he had no purpose in being there anymore And since Eleanor was refusing to go back, the couple just kind of putzed around in Palestine for a little while.
1: All right. I mean, I'm sure they were treated, of course, as royalty, but... I mean, Eleanor's
0: probably loving it because she's like, I just wanted to go on a vacation, so this is awesome.
1: (laughs) This is nice. Have you checked out these breezes? Yeah,
0: these Palestinian courts are way better than the ones (laughs) in Paris. (laughs) Eleanor basically was just refusing to go back to Paris, and along the way she suggested that the two should get their marriage annulled on the grounds of consanguinity, consanguinity, which basically means incest or blood relation. And she said this because they were third, co- third cousins once removed.
1: And she waited till now. Yeah. Pretty <laughs> so, much a decade later. So she's like, I am done with this one. I've never heard of this before. Yeah. Like that consang- consang- consanguinity. Yeah, I've never heard of that before. It's
0: going to come up again in this story, but not like in the reverse, pretty much. It's kind of funny, actually. (laughs) But despite the fact that Louis was now quite peeved at his wife for her stubbornness and lack of support during the crusade, as well as the fact that rumors were spreading about Eleanor and her uncle Raymond having an affair together, Louis decided to return home at the same time as, as his wife and refused her request for an annulment. But... The rumors about Eleanor and her husband having an affair together are pretty much unfounded. It's just people kind of saying, hey, they're spending a lot of time together. It, this is, and she's like not spending time with her husband, the king. Right. So I think she's, she might be boning her uncle.
1: That makes you want to throw up. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, but it, I don't think they really did. They that truly just
1: sounds like rumor. Yeah. Like your old rumor mill.
0: Put fuel in the fire at this already like angry couple.
1: It's such a rumor, though, that it's stuck, and we're talking about it over a
0: thousand years later. Yeah. Yeah. So the couple did return home at the same time, but they returned home in separate ships with Eleanor choosing to travel with her own knights and travel party versus traveling with Louis. On her way home, however, she was captured by Byzantine pirates subsequently rescued and then forced to make a pit stop in north africa and during all of this they also got separated in a storm and eleanor sort of thought that louis may have died since they got separated but eventually she did find her way home only to find that louis had not died but her uncle raymond had been beheaded in aleppo oh (laughs) so kind of the opposite of the news she was low-key hoping for
1: right she had a really tough stretch there yeah like i can't <laughs> got- imagine being captured by pirates as like a swell undertaking just just casually all right i don't know how she got rescued i didn't look into it
0: but like basically she just got captured and then was like all right let's make a pit stop in north africa and yeah. go home <laughs> eleanor wanted to get out of the marriage as she already mentioned, and upon her return that hadn't changed, but the Pope refused to agree to the annulment as well. And instead, the Pope offered marriage counseling in the form of a very comfy bed that he had made himself. And the couple ended up having another baby girl named Alex.
1: It was actually just a race car bed, <laughs> basically. Like, I love the v- and the Pope was like to get your motors running. <laughs>
0: I I, lo- I, th- I love the way that the extra credit videos portrayed it because it's just the Pope like jumps on the bed and then like pats the bed real hard and he's just like, "Hey, this is a
1: real comfy bed that you guys could use." Hmm. hmm? Yeah, I don't think that having the perceived like communicator with god making your bed <laughs> yeah is really big and, and also that's on.
0: that's his marriage counseling just like getting this comfy bed and have right. sex.
1: <laughs> great marriage counseling he's just like have you ever tried i don't know the hippity-dippity i mean honestly
0: i feel like that marriage counseling would probably help like a good i'm not gonna say a lot but like maybe like 15 20 percent of couples nowadays like just give them a, a really comfy
1: mattress and tell them to go to town or they could just get a better night's sleep. <laughs> yeah, okay. Get them a sleep number. Get a- <laughs> That's like sleep numbers, new marketing, like going forward, like save your marriage with actual good sleep. Pope marriage
0: counseling. So having another baby girl was honestly good for Eleanor. Just, like not only the fact that she had another beautiful baby girl, but the, this meant that since the 15 years of marriage had only yielded two children. And on, on top of that, neither of them were boys they still didn't have what Louis needed because Louis needed a male heir for two reasons. One, he had no male heir to take the throne if he died. And two, the marriage contract with Eleanor stated that only a male offspring would be able to inherit Aquitaine.
1: Right, kind of forgot about the marriage contract.
0: Yeah, so that's where this comes in handy. And at this point, Eleanor was apparently refusing to sleep with Louis anymore, so he reluctantly agreed to the annulment and Eleanor was free to go back to her duchy. However, Louis kept the two young girls because he said that they were his property.
1: Oh, dad of the year. (laughs) Yep,
0: Marie and Alex stamped as belonging to Louis. Right, there was a little tag. So during this time, Louis was busy starting a fight with a young jumpstart in the north who was trying to get control of the English crown, a teenager named Henry Plantagenet. The situation boiled down basically to Louis fearing that Henry was becoming too powerful, even though he didn't even have the crown yet, and Louis wanted to stop his rise to power early on. So eventually, Henry and Louis brokered a shaky peace agreement, and when Henry came to visit Paris, it seems he met the 27-year-old Eleanor. Shortly thereafter is when the marriage to Louis was annulled. And only weeks later, Eleanor was at the altar saying her I do's to a young Duke Henry.
1: Wow. Okay. Very Power moves. Quick turnaround. Very quick turnaround. But I mean, I guess the strapping young lad yeah. comes into town. There's
0: like debate as to whether they kind of set this up when he came to visit. And she just said, like, Hey, if you want to like, queen, wink, wink.
1: I think I might be available soon. (laughs) I hate that we both winked at each other at the same time, but I, for listeners. I might be (laughs) available
0: soon, Evan. Oh. (laughs) But yeah, there's a lot of rumors saying they basically had this already prepared before it was actually annulled, so. Mm -hmm. Her marriage to Henry is quite ironic since the reason for her last divorce was consanguinity and she was even more closely related to Henry than she was to Louis.
1: That is a classic thing uh, with the royalty, because this man was located in northern England. Yeah. Eleanor was not even on that island and still related. Oh, yeah.
0: And I love the fact that literally uh, like a couple months after she got divorced on grounds of that, she married someone closely related. So it's like, obviously, right. this wasn't the issue <laughs> this here. This was not the issue. <laughs> <laughs> But anyways, the uh, new couple seemed to be quite in love for the most part. And this can be seen in the fact that Eleanor gave birth to a son just over a year after they got married. So Louis, who, was rec- who recognized Henry as Duke of Normandy officially before he got married to Eleanor, was probably pissed.
1: Oh, I can't imagine Louis at this time. <laughs> oh, like, he that's had tough. to have been furious. That is tough to come back from.
0: You just got a divorce. Mm-hmm. Uh, you finally brokered peace with this guy and became fr- uh, like, on friendly terms with him, declared him Duke of Normandy. He steals your wife, and then she has a male heir within a year of getting married.
1: And not to mention, there's probably still sand everywhere from the oh, crusade. 100%. You can't get that out of
0: anything. A few years after the new marriage, Henry overtook the throne from his cousin Stephen because Stephen's young heir died, and then Stephen himself died shortly after agreeing to cede the throne to Henry upon his death. So, this meant that King Henry II and Queen Eleanor were now ruling over England. In two and a half years since Louis, Eleanor was now a queen again of the largest, richest, and most powerful force in Western Europe, known as the Angevin
1: Empire. Not bad.
0: She's had two very quick come
1: ups. Awesome. We need to give snaps to this, like props going oh, yeah. from white bread to now queen shit. Like, that's yeah, pretty incredible. She's
0: dating, like, uh, a good-looking 18-year-old who just got the throne of England. She's yeah. the
1: world's first, like, history's first cougar. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she was, she
0: was taken advantage. So during her coronation, Eleanor was already pregnant again, and in the coming years, she would be almost constantly pregnant or recovering from a pregnancy. Henry and Eleanor welcomed five children into the world in the first six years of their marriage. That is so much pregnancy. Yeah. Holy cow. Their names were William, Henry, Matilda, Richard, and Jeffrey. And the next decade or so would see three more kids for the couple, two girls named Eleanor and Joan, and a final son named John. And John is going to have a very big, like,
1: baby syndrome. (laughs) Oh yeah. Coming up in the future. Historically big baby syndrome. Yeah.
0: So I at this point in the story, there is I like more names coming in. So honestly, if you get like a little notepad or get your phone out or something and list the kids' names, so William, Henry, Matilda, Richard, Jeffrey, Eleanor, Joan, and John. And then as we go, you can start crossing those names off the list <laughs> because it's, they start to like intermingle, but they all end up dying pretty quickly. Like not, not right away, but they kill each other off pretty. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so- During the whole time, Eleanor was also keeping house in the kingdom because Henry was attempting to repair the empire after the civil war for the throne that he had taken part in earlier in like two and a half years ago.
1: Yeah, revolutionaries never think that you have to clean up the mess. Oh yeah, civil wars do leave quite a big gap to fill. Yeah. It's
0: debated whether Eleanor actually wielded much actual power in this time frame or if she was sort of a figurehead while all of the top advisors made all the decisions. But regardless, she was quote unquote in charge during a super turbulent time in English history. Henry was off crushing rebellions, campaigning in Ireland, and kind of sort of got an old friend of his killed. And Evan is going to tell us more about that story.
1: Yeah Henry II man, he is an unbelievable character. He's got
0: a lot going on.
1: Like there should be there should absolutely be like a series about, of course, just this time period, but it is nuts what he does with who he perceived as a friend for years. so in 1145, a man named Thomas Beckett went to work for the then Archbishop of Canterbury, Archbishop Theobald, and I mentioned the. Or I should explain more of that Canterbury was a very rich estate, uh, it was of course to do with the church, and at this time, church and state, there just was no difference. Or excuse me, there was a difference, but the church just always had more power and more goals. Oh yeah.
0: That's why when I mentioned earlier that like King Louis was now on level with the Pope pretty much. like right. Even though he's a king of a kingdom, the Pope is like pretty much ruler over every Christian land. So right, he's kind of got a lot of
1: power. Right, right. But uh, Thomas Beckett eventually worked himself up to the Archdeaconry of Canterbury, so basically the number two guy, one of the head advisors of the then current Archbishop of Canterbury. King Henry II, our guy, was very, very much wanting to recover his financial losses from that, well, not only from his rebellion, but also King Stephen is reportedly he had some spending problems oh
0: yeah this whole kingdom is gonna have a lot of spending problems honestly
1: right uh so king henry ii hearing about this young upstart basically accountant brings thomas beckett in as his chancellor so now he's running the royal crown's money thomas beckett stayed very close to the side of the king and lived from all accounts a very very luxurious lifestyle. You know, it's, there's props, or excuse me, there's benefits to being best friends with the King of England. This guy
0: kind of had a come up, like, going <laughs> from just, like, being part of
1: the clergy, pretty much, yep. to, like, almost head of the clergy, to almost head of the kingdom. Pretty much, pretty much. Um, he kept on, you know, of course, hanging out with King Henry II, really gained the king's confidence and his trust, and what's kind of most important, he would side with King Henry on issues of church and state and king henry through all of these different things thought that thomas becket would be a loyal friend and wanted to appoint him to an influential position inside of the church so king henry ii sought to promote thomas becket to the actual archbishop of canterbury taking over for archbishop theobald naturally the church knew that you know thomas becket was king henry's boy We can't have him having such a high position. And the opposition from the church was extreme. The archbishop was meant to be a monk, and it always was a monk. And those monks of Canterbury Cathedral were extremely reluctant to have this, again, this financier appointed to the highest office in England. Henry's and the popes just like don't really get along no 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 they <laughs> there's a lot don't. of henry's <laughs> that really get into it with like the church right as soon as that h comes in you're like man i cannot stand this guy but eventually king henry the second won this argument and thomas beckett was ordained a priest and the next day consecrated as archbishop which kind of well not kind of very wild given yeah. the context when beckett was named the Archbishop. There are reports that he wanted to prove to the churchmen, who of course disagreed with his appointments, that he could do a really good job of being the new Archbishop of Canterbury. But did that mean that he had to oppose the king on basically all these different, different things? Answer is yes. Yes, he yeah, did. Yeah, <laughs> kind of had a complete 180 on how he got to that position. Yeah. King Henry was trying to create more and more laws to prove that state had more power than the church in England, which again, very popular thing for Henry's to do. But he kept on meeting resistance from Thomas Beckett on multiple issues. Henry and Thomas then got in a huge fight, uh, and this is kind of where the relationship really comes to a head, because Henry saw the problem of what he know, or excuse me, what he referred to as "criminous clerks." So basically, clergymen that would commit crimes ranging from basically anything a regular, quote unquote, regular human would do. And at the time, whenever a clergy member cr- or conducted a crime, they would be tried in a religious court and not by uh, the court court. Yeah. And also so,
0: saying conducted a crime makes me think they're a train conductor. Right. <laughs> like, zap, it's, zap. <laughs> it's that it's the image of like if there's one person on this track but a hundred on this track, which way are you going? And which it's just them. It's like to? both. <laughs> yep.
1: <laughs> um and you may be thinking, well, like, why is this such an important issue to Henry? Well, one, he wanted to, of course, show that the state was more proper the church, but also clergy applied to a lot of people at this time. Also,
0: Henry is a control freak. Right. As we'll see in a little bit with his kids. But like he does not like giving up any power to anybody. Oh, granted, he's still really young, too. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he's, he's kind of a, a hothead.
1: <laughs> right. So eventually the arguing came to Thomas Beckett publicly accepting that this would be the way going forward, that... Clerks, committed, clerks who commit crimes would then be tried in state courts. However, later he backtracked and this became just, it just reverted back to a normal. He disagreed with everything. King Henry was furious and brought Beckett to trial, drummed up some charges, some most likely fake charges, and removed estates from Thomas Beckett. But Thomas Beckett then fled the continent, or excuse me, fled the island, and went to the main European continent for six years. Little vacation. While he was not on the island, he challenged the king and claimed to be working for the liberties of the church, but despite reconciliation being urged by the pope... Neither side would yield. So even the Pope is like, guys, just make up. I have this new bed if you want. <laughs> <laughs> you want some Pope marriage counseling? Yeah. I
0: do like that Thomas Beckett was like, all right, things are like not going well between me and Henry. The relationship is souring. I'm going to cross... Off of the island and go to the mainland so I can yell at him from the mainland. (laughs) From afar. So
1: that I have a a natural barrier between us. He has to cross an ocean to get to me. (laughs) I can still yell. (laughs) While Thomas Beckett was gone, however, a new heir to the throne of England was crowned. This was always custom, or excuse me, custom showed that this was always the privilege of the Archbishop of Canterbury. And when Beckett heard the news, he returned to England immediately, wanting to punish those who did it. And when he arrived back, he excommunicated three bishops who took their complaints to the king. King Henry, after receiving these complaints, then shouted the famous line, Who shall rid me of this troublesome priest? Four knights who were keen to find favor with the king, then traveled to Canterbury where on December 29th, we almost planned that perfectly. (laughs) We (laughs) we stumble this all the time.
0: Synchronicities.
1: On December 29th, 1170, they murdered Thomas Beckett in the Great Cathedral of Canterbury. So literally killed him in his house his place of worship
0: very public execution <laughs> extremely public yeah like they and, henry, a- and this is off of like just a, a throwaway line from henry pretty much
1: right right so essentially whatever thomas beckett had achieved during his actual life to oppose the authority of the monarch was then justified and came to a complete head in his death because the public of course side with sided with the monarchy with thomas beckett and his ongoing, or excuse me, what he was trying to do during his life. So he kind of became a saint. Yeah. And then literally became a saint.
0: And this is where Henry's public reputation kind of takes a
1: dive. <laughs> Especially because King Henry II was served with a public and popular excommunication. yeah, regime, Which excommunicating was a huge thing back in the day. King Henry, in response to this shut himself in his chamber for three straight days, rolled in sackcloth and ashes, refused any food or comfort, and eventually pledged himself to restore the Church of Canterbury to all of its rights and possessions and to undertake, if the Pope should require it, a 3 years crusade to Jerusalem or Spain.
0: These guys and their crusades,
1: man. To get out of jail-free car It is. The ultimate culmination of King Henry's, let's say, grief, and as well as just his like penance, was two years later on July twelfth, eleven seventy four. The king, the king of England, just to reinforce that, made a pilgrimage to the tomb of Thomas Becket. However, before he entered Canterbury, he got off his horse, walked with bare feet through the streets knelt in the porch of the cathedral, and kissed the sacred stone on which the archbishop had been murdered. He wept and spoke of uttering those fateful words and the remorse he had for it. He then threw himself prostrate before the tomb of Thomas Becket and confessed to the bishops with groans and tears his deep remorse. For a dollar, what do you think the monks did next? to the King of England. Whipped him. They whipped him. Nice. They literally got whips out and started whipping the King of England. English love whips. They love. That is true. Yeah. <laughs> but thus concludes the story of the Thomas Beckett v. King Henry II rivalry. Yeah,
0: so... it. Through all of this, like, this is what's all going on in England around this time period when they just get married. He's trying to like quell all of these rebellions that were going on before he became king, and then this happens to him. So, there's a lot of public bad, like, bad feelings from the public going towards him at this time. Yeah,
1: he was not the most popular person.
0: And this time period was also a bit turbulent for his marriage as scholars have pointed to Henry's legendary temper and impulsiveness as putting strain on the relationship with Eleanor. Uh, And it was said that he would throw such violent tantrums that in addition to him rolling in sackcloth and ash for three days, he one time got on the floor out of anger in an argument with Eleanor and began to chew on the carpeting. So he's like a child. Yeah. He
1: is a child child. Like,
0: pretty. you mean, he got the power of the king at, like, 20. Right. So he was very young when he got that position. And it just in addition to him being, like, no, not sharing anything with anyone, he's just right. kind of a very big, selfish
1: baby. I can't imagine just chewing on the carpet. He was a wild one.
0: Despite the fact that they did have a lot of kids and seemingly respected one, other, one another's intelligence and capability, both Eleanor and Henry may have had affairs. Henry definitely had affairs, he was very open about his, which can't have made Eleanor too happy, but Eleanor is also rumored to have been very buddy-buddy with a certain someone and may have had an affair of her own. But the couple worked together well enough, and even though Eleanor moved back to Aquitaine around 1168 to start managing things there on her own, they were still married and still communicated well between each other. And this move was actually advantageous for both sides since Henry now didn't have to worry about managing one of the biggest areas of his empire, and because Eleanor could now rule the subjects who would respect her authority more than an outsider. She was from there. The couple began to plan out inheritances for the kids, and since their first son William died, they had four boys to divide the vast English empire between. So the next eldest son, Henry Jr., was to marry Louis VII's oldest daughter from his second
1: wife, so not his half-sister. Oh, I was just about to say, can you say that again for so, the people in the back? <laughs> Louis
0: VII got remarried after Eleanor, had okay. kids, mm-hmm. and so Henry Jr., the Eleanor and Henry's son, was to marry Louis VII's oldest daughter from his second wife.
1: Whew, the people who are taking notes at home are probably like <laughs> sweating <laughs> yeah. like How's today? the family tree looking at home?
0: <laughs> uh, and he was to inherit the land of England, Normandy, and Anjou, which were three pretty large sections of the Angevin Empire. The next oldest, Richard, was to inherit Aquitaine and got to go hang out with his mom. And the third oldest, Geoffrey, would marry the only daughter of the Duke of Brittany and would inherit that land. Little man John, the youngest, got nothing except the nickname John Lackland. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> he just gets the swamp. Yeah, he gets
1: literally nothing. Right. I don't. I just put him like a little bit more perspective. And I think you did, I, just to remind people. Excuse me of like what the Angevin Empire is. Like it is huge for yeah, the time.
0: So basically, take the island of England and going up to the border of Scotland. Take that and go straight down into mainland Europe to the, uh, what is that, the Mediterranean Sea down right. there. And all of that land, like pretty much to the border of Spain,
1: is all of the Angevin Empire. Right. It's huge. It is huge. Like half of modern day France, it looks like, of course, England and even like Ireland, because you mentioned that yeah. the campaigns in Ireland. That's huge. It's a lot of land that
0: he has to give up. I mean, good thing he's got four sons in here. And he doesn't even give one of them anything. Sorry, buddy. Sorry, John. You match like, hey,
1: champ. Russell's his (laughs)
0: hair. (laughs) And he would harbor hatred for that for a while. But Richard, since he was going to hang out with his mom in Aquitaine, soon became very close with her. And if the name Richard the Lionheart sounds familiar, that's who this Richard will come to be known as. So he becomes a very important figure in his own right. It's around this time that Eleanor's most famous potential legacy was born, which is the Courts of Love. Uh, Stories tell that she organized a court with her first daughter from her first marriage with Louis, along with two other women, and they were kind of a jury over lovers' disputes and other love-related matters, except they did it in a legal setting and they all came to the agreement that true love does not exist. <laughs> <laughs> that is so funny. They came into the court and they were like, can true love exist in a marriage between two people? And they said,
1: no. <laughs> they were like absolutely not. <laughs> and I mean, I guess
0: that is to show that she's in her second marriage already and the other the second marriage was a marriage of opportunity. Both so. two
1: people who were within third cousin area you know? yeah and both in line to be kings and both kings yeah. yeah
0: so she's setting herself up but uh it's pretty hard to tell if these courts ever truly existed because there's only one source that says it and it's a big book of poetry literature but pretty much and most of the modern consensus says that these courts really didn't happen but it's fun to say that they did because it i think fun. it's hilarious that a group of women got together and said love doesn't exist in marriage, <laughs> yeah. uh,
1: Like three very powerful women who were like, like, nah, men are trash. That was the first time that was like, who run the world? Girls. Girls.
0: But regardless, Eleanor pushed forward the arts and poetry while she spent more time in Aquitaine, kind of what her father taught her to do when she was younger. So Henry had doled out the inheritances. uh, Sorry, John in theory to his sons but as i mentioned earlier he was a control freak so he didn't want to actually give the boys any real power in their holdings and this is either because he's a control freak or because he thought the
1: kids were useless it's not really clear or the kids would just kill him or like start fights well well (laughs) eventually eventually.
0: (laughs) henry the the younger henry got mad about this arrangement because he wasn't able to actually do anything and as evan mentioned one of the reasons Thomas Becket got angry and came back to England was because there was a new coronation of the next in line to rule, and that was Henry. But the coronation was like literally just a, a signif- like not significant in the way that he was going to learn to rule. It was just to show that he was next in line. Like mm. Henry didn't give him any power, he didn't give him an apprenticeship under the king, gave him land, but not really. So Henry was getting pretty mad about all this. And eventually, Henry II made marriage arrangements for his son, John, and basically off the cuff said that John was a good suitor for his new marriage candidate because he had three castles in Anjou, but that land all belonged to Henry Jr. So now his father has given John three castles from his land that he can't even do anything with. So he's getting a little frustrated. Uh, That does sound very frustrating. So at this, Henry Jr. left for Paris, allied with Eleanor's ex husband, Louis VII, and gathered forces to throw out Henry II, his father. Richard and Geoffrey also joined the younger Henry, spurred on by who else but their lovely mother, Eleanor. Shout out Eleanor. She just, like, she will not, not be involved. She is she sees opportunities and does not think about it she just acts seizes immediately love this so scholars can kind of agree on how everything happened but nobody can really say for sure why she instigated the rebellion against her husband uh some say that she instigated it and used her sons but others say that she didn't but either way she most likely openly supported her sons and this didn't really matter in the end because henry put down their rebellion very quickly and turned around, forgave the sons, and then imprisoned his wife, the queen, for the next 16 years.
1: 16 years. Holy cow. I always knew that like, she gets to be in prison eventually, but
0: that is a long time. Yeah.
1: And she is like
0: like 50 around this time. Yeah. So she's getting up there in age now, and she just gets carted around to different castles for the next 16 years. During this time, nobody is like 100% sure where Eleanor is at any point because she would only really be trotted out during holidays sometimes, but mostly she would just have to watch from the sidelines. And when I say she was imprisoned, I'm not saying she was like in a jail. She still had like a castle and nice living quarters and stuff, but she wasn't free. She couldn't do what she wanted to.
1: Right. It's like house arrest. Yeah.
0: She was imprisoned by her husband who just like kept a very close eye on her.
1: Can't believe that King Henry just was like, you know what, kids? This is a learning lesson. Never yeah, exactly. mess
0: exactly. Dad, I, he was just more mad at her, I think, because like she had been in Aquitaine, mm-hmm. and, like he, she had been managing everything fine, but he still wanted control there. So like, she was getting frustrated with him over that, and I'm right. sure there are button heads. So this was just her being like, I'm done. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Henry died in 1189 of an ulcer. And in that 16-year interim between him imprisoning Eleanor and his death, the kids put down the rebellions that they had themselves started. Hmm. The younger Henry tried to fight his younger brother, Richard, lost, and then died of dysentery. Eleanor's other son, Jeffrey, had died in a freak jousting accident, and her daughter, Matilda, had died of illness. John still had no land, despite being given Aquitaine by his father as a reward for being the only son not to rebel against Henry II. But Richard refused to give up Aquitaine and instead gave it to Eleanor while she was still imprisoned, which she governed with limited capacity.
1: This definitely sheds more light on why Prince John was so mad in the Robin Hood, <laughs> the like, cartoons and the Kevin Costner Robin Hood, which is how we game friends, basically. Yeah. I can kind of see why he's so mad. But he's, he's not
0: pissed. he's not a good kid. Like, <laughs> no, he's not everyone good. kind of understands like he's not ready to rule he anything. He can't do this, yeah. <laughs> so a lot happens while Eleanor is imprisoned during the 16 years. So she lost two sons and a daughter and then one son basically just got kicked out. <laughs> but when Henry II died officially and Richard became the king of England, he left a lot of the power in England to his mom while he went off to fight. So his first thing that he did was like, get her out of there, let her rule. So there's benefits to having Richard be the next in line because he was the one that hung out with her through like his entire teenage years, pretty much. Right. Eleanor gladly accepted the role, getting more power now than she had ever had her entire life leading up to this point. So her one of her first things that she did was she emptied the prisons of her late husband's political prisoners and began to clean up the messes that Richard had inherited. And then Richard was like, bye, I have to go fight Saladin in Jerusalem for the third crusade and become known as the Lionheart. So I'll see you in a few years.
1: That is crazy. <laughs> like, like we don't really know, like it typically isn't talked about like the context of him leaving or like what he left behind, but he really left behind a mess. Oh, yeah. He, like he, just, he
0: immedi- almost immediately left after getting the power. So. Yeah. But it is interesting that he goes off to fight Saladin, who we have also done an episode on. and right. Stuff like that. So. Classic rivalry. Go back and listen to that one. I'm pretty sure we pronounce his name wrong like every time we talk about him. But...
1: I think it's like every other time. Like, yeah. We pronounce it a different way every time.
0: Yeah. So this was fine since he didn't really like ruling anyways, but he was still not married before he left. And a king has to have a queen. So Eleanor at the age of like 70 had to travel into Spain to go get his betrothed take her across the mainland of Europe crossing multiple mountain ranges take a ship to Sicily and then make sure that Richard got married. <laughs> oh my gosh. So This
1: like 70 in 1100s. Yeah.
0: And she's like crossing mountain ranges and taking boats like she's out oh, there doing shit. She is doing things from like she came from england to do all this crazy oh my god but basically richard had left and raised taxes really high to afford this crusade that he wanted to go on so she's kind of trying to like stoke or not stoke the fires like tamp the fires down that's every that everything had been left with so while she was gone little man john set up a rival court in london became buddy-buddy with the new king of France named Philip, and tried to say that his brother Richard was not only unmarried and had no heir, but was likely already dead. So then, John tried to say that he was the rightful heir to the English throne and attempted to take England. But when Eleanor returned, everyone found out that Richard was married and was fine, so then John was kind of pushed off to the side again and everything was just kind of smoothed over somehow that's like, the don't most know how. nuts
1: thing like he causes a rebellion wants France to take over and people are like ah that's silly yeah. john
0: he literally rival like goes and becomes friends with her ex-husband's son yeah elfer king of france <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and was like i'm going to set up here and take back england you just like help me out if i need it and they're just like no that's not going to happen sorry nah. john you're fine we're not going to do anything about it but just don't do it again <laughs> But then right after this, Richard got lost on his crusade and no one knew where he was. It was eventually found out because the queen, who was basically Eleanor at this point, got a letter saying that Richard had been taken ransom by the Holy Roman Emperor Henry VI after his crusades in the Holy Land. Well, it was actually this German dude named Leopold who kidnapped... Richard, when Richard was traveling through Leopold's lands, disguised as a pilgrim, and then Leopold took advantage of that, kidnapped him, realized that the Pope could come get him, and then gave him to Henry VI, because he was Holy Roman Emperor, and said, here, take care of this, and just hold this guy hostage. But eventually, Richard gets taken hostage
1: by Holy Roman Emperor. What a while, like, traveling at this time was so nuts. Like, Eleanor got captured by pirates. (laughs) Richard gets captured by just a guy, or just by a landowner, and then given to the whole own emperor.
0: But this left Eleanor with the very tall task of figuring out how to raise a ransom worth two to three times the amount of the annual income for the English crown, as well as keep John from taking the throne while she did that. She successfully petitioned the Pope to help her out. And the Pope then excommunicated Leopold for detaining Richard because he was a crusader. But when the Pope realized that the Holy Roman Emperor had Richard, he was like, nah, I'm not going to go try and get that one done. (laughs) In the end, though, Richard kind of helped himself out by being a brave war hero for the English crown, and Eleanor petitioned the public to see who could donate the most money to help free their hero king and in the end, was able to raise enough money to free Richard, which is crazy that she was just like, let's have a contest to see who can donate more.
1: What a spin. I mean, yeah. that's pretty great. Like, your hero king, your warrior king, that's probably where the Lionheart came from. Yeah, exactly. Like, this is marketing.
0: I mean, everyone just said, like, he is a very good leader and he's brave and fights on the front lines with everyone. So it's not like he's just letting everyone else do it. Right. So she was able to raise enough money despite the fact that John and Philip attempted to pay the Holy Roman Emperor to keep Richard imprisoned, but Eleanor traveled to Henry VI herself with the ransom money and freed Richard. Then Richard was re as king upon his arrival back to England and had to decide who he wanted to appoint as his new heir. He originally had planned before his crusade to give the nod of the crown to his two-year-old nephew, who was Geoffrey's son, but when he returned from his capture, he decided that John was a better choice and forgave him for trying to take over England with Philip. So John then severed his ties with Philip and retook the lands that he had fought to give the French. (laughs) It is insane how people just forgive John.
1: (laughs) This guy just gets so many like multiple multiple second chances oh yeah
0: eventually richard died and his death was pretty anticlimactic he was out besieging a small castle in the countryside and was shot by a crossbow that hit him in the shoulder some say that it was done by a young boy who was running along the top of the castle walls but it's not entirely certain do you think he did a double y (laughs) (laughs) did a spin move 360 no scope But yeah, Richard was just walking around unarmored because he was like, eh, it's just a small castle siege, what could go wrong? And then a six-year-old shot him. But this minor wound then became infected, and Richard died of gangrene while being held by his mother. John then began peace negotiations with Philip through a marriage after he became king. But of course, Eleanor had to choose which niece would get married to Philip's son, which meant that she had to travel across the mountains into Spain again to go get the girl
1: and bring her back to Philip. Mind
0: you, she's almost 80 at this point.
1: How is she? I mean, props to her, but like how?
0: I know. Well, she's living in like Aquitaine at this point, like near the Spain border. She's not in England proper anymore. Mm -hmm. But still traveling across the Great Pyrenees Mountains, and she got kidnapped by a a French nobleman along the way, and then just got out of that and then brought this girl back. Eleanor then retired to her abbey in France temporarily until she had to travel back to Aquitaine to defend the duchy against her grandson while John was at war.
1: She even had to fight the grandson. Yeah. this lady is a mortal. The
0: original guy that Richard had crowned as his heir before John took over. She had to defend her former land against him. Oh my gosh, this is insane. But then John returned from the war. Well, <laughs> make, it sound, <laughs> make it sound like he's a lost husband. He returned from the war. <laughs> he returned from war to defend the castle for his mother, kicked the young kid out, and Eleanor was able to finally retire for good. She stayed at the Abbey and became a nun and died of natural causes at the age of 82. She survived both of her husbands and six of her children and was buried next to Henry II in a pre-designated burial spot that she picked out in Aquitaine. And her tomb is slightly above Henry's in a building that was run entirely by women. Love it. After her death, John was unable to hold the lands that England had once had and the Angevin Empire collapsed. However, Eleanor's presence was still felt after her death through the strong willed and independent women she had raised and left behind in her stead, such as her granddaughters and other noble women. So, in the end, long live Eleanor, queen of two kingdoms and mother to the most rambunctious group of sons she could have ever asked for.
1: This is probably like a top five life that we've ever covered. Oh, she
0: is fantastic. That I love is.
1: Her. That's just such a life lived, like married the king of france traveled across the world multiple times yeah got captured participated in wars, a crusade <laughs> saved the kingdom several times yeah
0: it's insane she did a lot and still managed to like be a, a huge political and cultural influence for people so oh, for sure yeah it's kind of crazy eleanor aquitaine kind of a badass we salute you cool
1: chick very cool
0: and in- it's a side note about like being buried next to Henry. Like some people are like, Oh, I can't believe they put her next to a husband who treated her like garbage, but she did that on purpose (laughs) because she moved Henry's body from like after he died, she had him buried in Aquitaine on purpose on lands that she owned and then built the tombs that hers was slightly up
1: higher than his. I love that So It's such
0: a petty thing to do, but I love
1: it. That is so spiteful that it gives me great joy. It's so funny.
0: But yeah, this begins our month of focusing on some stronger female characters in history so i hope you guys enjoyed this one i know it was a lot of names to try and keep track of as i mentioned but i hope we kind of made it somewhat fluid throughout the entire episode because the focus is and the end of the day on eleanor and basically just like how she raised a group of insane kids to somehow rule england and outlived most of them yeah six out of eight wow how did she live to 82 it's insane in the 1100s yeah and she lived through eight child 10 childbirths in the 1100s oh man she is a strong woman man that is wow yeah hope you guys enjoyed this one we will be back next week with another figure from history and if we do i'm not sure what order we're doing our episodes in yet but One of them is going to be a descendant of Eleanor of Aquitaine. So get ready for that. She's just as wild as Eleanor was. (laughs) But she is like even more directly involved in a lot of controversial
1: things. So it's very fun. Very fun. Absolutely love it. And if you want to continue the conversations uh, with us, you can find us on all social medias. You can find us on Twitter at gems underscore history. You find Jacob at Jacob from Wisco, myself at Wodevskis. You can also find us on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube, at Gems of History Podcast. And you can check Jacob out every Friday.
0: Yeah. On um, our YouTube and TikTok. On YouTube
1: and TikTok. And Instagram. And Twitter. And Facebook. All over the world.
0: Yeah. Everywhere. Yeah. All around the world. Mr. Worldwide. People That's, are, are saying
1: them. that you're the next Pitbull. Uh, your are Pitbull's bull, pit influence, but with history. Is that a better spin zone? I don't know. Is Pitbull canceled? I haven't heard from him in a while. I I have no idea. What has happened to Pitbull? I don't know, but every time I see Andrew Tate, I think he's like like a limp dick Pitbull. Oh my God, pretty. The resemblance is uncanny. It
0: is. All right, guys. Everyone have a great week. Take care of each other. Love each other. It's a new year. Make it a year of love. Make it a year of happiness. Make this year better than the last one. And everyone, remember to stay polished.